welcome to hey great shot this is the great shot podcast brought to you by cracked rackets my name's alex gruskin here at cracked rackets we've had so much fun over the past few months bringing you guys a load of new content if you haven't been listening to our newest podcast the mini break our everyday show where we bring you guys the biggest storylines results and controversies from the tennis world definitely go check that out check out christian harris and friends bringing you a new episode of What the Deuce every week where they give a slightly different take on the things going on in the tennis world. Very fun podcast. Be sure to go give that a listen. Obviously, listen to this in our Cracked Interviews podcast as well. But for those of you who don't know, we have been doing a fun little competition with our mini break podcast. If you guys have the time, we ask you, please go leave us a five-star review as well as a little uh, five-star rating as well as a little review, you know, it's actually a very easy thing to do. You scroll through your Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It tells you very clearly where to write your review. It can be as little as, you know, I love the way Matt Stokoe X sounds when he's on the Great Shot Podcast. Or, man, the way Alex elaborates about his hairline, that's some must-see footage. So it can be as simple as that, but just leave your little Instagram handle, you know, Twitter handle, email, whatever it is. Leave us a way to get in contact with you at the end of every week. We pick one winner, and we announce them on our Monday mini-break podcast. In fact, Westoff, if you could, it really doesn't take that long. So give me 10 seconds of elevator music so that, you know, take the time. Go do this. We, we can wait for you. Yeah, so, uh, again, so much fun stuff going on in the Cracked Rackets front. If you've missed anything, go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. We've obviously got you up to date on all things going on in the professional world. We are in the midst of the clay swing on both the men's and women's side, and it's easy to get lost in all of the tennis going on, but we promise we've kept you up to date with all things on our website. Uh, Obviously, uh, we have a very fun weekend of tennis coming up with the NCAA tournament starting this Friday. Uh, what we'll be doing on today's podcast, I've had been so fortunate to get to work with so many cool personalities through our Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm bringing on one of my favorite guests, Luca Corintelli, the former UVA doubles All-American and three-time team national champion, to give our preview of the teams we think can win this year's men's national team title. Now, going into this conversation, you should know it's been a theme of all of our college podcasts all year long. Uh, this tournament is wide open. There are a ton of teams we see in, competi- uh, in competition for the title. That's obviously why this episode is a little bit longer. Luke and I go on and on, spend too much time, of course, talking about UVA, but just talking about all of those teams we view in contention. But really fun conversation. Hopefully we'll get Luke on before this tournament ends as well. And for our listeners who are keeping track of our schedule, we're going to try and do these Great Shot Podcast college previews before the Super Regional round as well. We'll also recap the first weekend action Go to emergency pods if anything really crazy happens. So just be on the lookout for all of that. But with that being said, hope you enjoy my conversation with Luca. Joining me now to help get you listeners ready for this weekend's opening of the NCAA Men's Tennis Team Tournament, he is a three-time NCAA team champion, a former doubles All-American at University of Virginia, and a returning guest to our Cracked Rackets uh, group, Luca Corintelli. Welcome back to the uh, podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, excited to be back. 
appreciate you having me back on. Oh, of course. We had so much fun the first time. And I, I know we had Ty uh, on, obviously, your former teammate, to do the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open stuff. I have an affinity for Virginia. I was like, you know what? I'm going to call Lucas, see what he's up to. Definitely. I'm always ready to talk NCAA tennis. So, <laughs> Well, then the place I want to start real quick before we get into any teams or any of uh, the predicting mm-hmm. stuff, Andy Katz, he came on. He did the selection show this year. I'm not sure if you got a yep. chance to see it, but if you did, any thoughts? I didn't see the selection show, but I saw his bracket. Um, I was very much pleased with what he put for <laughs> his winning team on the men's side. I had some questions on some of his upsets, I know that he's usually covering – it's college basketball, right? Yeah, like, I think, I I think so. During, yeah. So I think maybe he thinks like May Madness is as wild as March Madness. So I disagree with some of the takes that he had for some of the earlier round upsets. But I did like uh, who he ultimately had winning the championship. So All right. I got I, I to rock with him for that. So I was obviously planning on giving you shit about him choosing Virginia. <laughs> Clearly, he hasn't gotten over the fact that you guys won that NCAA title in basketball. By the way, congratulations yeah. on that. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. It was amazing. That, those guys literally did Charlottesville and UVA proud forever, especially after last year. So that was awesome to, to witness. Yeah, because you Virginia tennis guys don't have enough to brag about. So we'll throw another <laughs> national title on there as yeah, well. Man. But real quickly on the Cats thing. So I already gave my thoughts on the selection show on a previous podcast. The summary mm-hmm. is a little bit awkward. You know, it kind of felt like yeah. the audio was from a submarine. Andy Katz, mm-hmm. clearly a college basketball guy. But getting to his bracket real quick, Illinois yeah. in the semifinals is hilarious. Yeah, yeah I, I saw that as well. I'm not sure how much he's watched. Not saying Illinois is obviously always super feisty. They're a great program. But, uh, again, like I think just the, the chances of that big of an upset and having a team go that far – uh, happening in tennis is not nearly as likely as, you know, something that would happen in college basketball, you know, with Loyola getting to the elite eight last year. And just with, I'm sure what he's used to in covering March madness, I think that's probably where some of his takes come from, but yeah, I would have to disagree with him on Illinois making it to the final four. And I'm sorry to keep picking on him because I really do appreciate when any personality gets involved in college tennis and all these <laughs> efforts are admirable. But real quick, I don't hate Texas Tech over Stanford, but Alabama over Texas is funny. Yeah, I mean, just... yeah, that one's wild to me <laughs> yeah. too because I think Texas, obviously we'll get into it, but uh, Texas is a complete squad from top to bottom. So Alabama, I don't know. I know they made it to the Sweet 16 last year, but also very highly unlikely that they pull that upset off in my opinion i just really hope that we go back in time and he comes out and he's like whoops a little wrong about this or maybe he gets proven <laughs> right and I, in which case i will apologize yeah maybe he's the genius maybe he's the genius <laughs> and he's just gonna start the wave yeah so he should be covering college tennis forever we'll see soon enough yeah when virginia wins uh, we'll give him all of the credit but okay with that Definitely. in mind uh, to sort of set the scene for our listeners of what you and i are going to be doing today luca i asked you to prepare a list of the teams mm-hmm. you think you know going in to the before we've seen any NCAA play, but everything we've seen through regular season, through postseason conference mm-hmm. play, the teams you think have a chance of winning the national title. And one of the reasons yeah. I wanted to do this before we started the tournament is this year, more than it seems like any of the past 10 years, when we had your mm-hmm. Virginia teams, the USC teams, last year's Wake Forest team was a mm-hmm. very prohibitive favorite throughout the season. Yeah. But there are really, you know, you can make a case, and I've said this before, for me, you could make a case for about 12 teams if I'm drunk and I would believe you. I'd say, okay, sure, yeah. that's feasible. You can really make a solid case for six or seven teams going to, into this weekend. And that's why I thought, that you know, this would be a good thought exercise heading into the event. Yeah, no, I I, I would agree. I think um, 
obviously there are a bunch of teams that can make some noise this year. I think obviously, um, you know, it takes a lot to be able to string uh, a, a bunch of matches together and to pull off upsets for some of the lower ranked teams. But I think more so than in the past couple of years, there's definitely a larger group of um, of squads that can get it done this year. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. I think it's going to make it more exciting for the fans because they're going to be battle after battle, um, you know, from the first round on. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to follow along this year, and we'll see who comes out on top. And before we talk about any specific team, another thing that was very different this year, heading into the year, teams knew about it, and I'm sure they thought about it when it came postseason mm-hmm. conference time, the super regional format. They go yeah. down to the eight super sites before going down to an eight-team quarterfinal um, at the mm-hmm. final NCAA site for the men and, and women's. You know, you've played the format uh, for all four years. Mm-hmm. It was Sweet 16 sites. What do you think about the change honestly i think that it's going to help um obviously it's going to help the teams that are that are hosting these you know uh what is it, the sweet 16 matchups i personally liked it when sweet 16 started at one neutral site um i think just the atmosphere you have a lot of teams there a bunch of players um i think it draws better crowds to be honest because there are more fans from a bunch of different schools but i do think this year it's going to play an advantage i know personally for me we felt like whenever we were playing at home especially outdoors at uva we were so used to the conditions and certain schools have more extreme conditions than others. You know, there are certain schools, I think Illinois, for example, I'm not sure if they're hosting a, I don't think they're hosting a super regional, but um, just using Illinois as an example, I know that it gets super windy in Champaign, especially in May playing outdoors. Um, personally at Snyder in Charlottesville, we knew that those outdoor courts were super tricky. Um, you know, they bounced up really, really high, but at the same time they were quick. So we felt comfortable enough playing on those home courts. And actually I don't think, when I was at Virginia, we lost a single time at home um, outdoors. <laughs> so I think, like again, I think it's gonna it's gonna be an advantage. But again, certain teams, it's it's also added pressure. You know, I always felt like there were certain teams that felt like you know they didn't necessarily play quite as well at home because you have you know more fans out there. There's expectations, so you know it can obviously go go both ways. But um, you know, I think it just depends on some of the schools and, and some of the specific programs and how they're going to be able to handle that adversity. I know Coach Boland often talked about how he would have you guys prepare for the NCAA tournaments. He played with that mm-hmm. so much throughout his career. He would used to front load schedules with a ton of matches. Yep. It seems like for you guys, as your class of se- uh, seniors got older, he kind of tapered off towards the end of the mm-hmm. year, let you guys yep. do your thing. How do you think this middle event, this bonus home match, is going to affect the preparation of these top seeds and just all, all of these teams who are trying to compete for that quarterfinal round? Uh, I mean, I think it'll probably, to be honest, and again, in my opinion, I think that it's only going to keep some of, like, especially the teams that get to the Elite Eight, it's going to probably put them in rhythm a little bit more because they're going to be in more comfortable, in, in a more comfortable situation for a longer period of time. I knew that whenever we qualified for the Sweet 16, it would normally end on a Saturday or Sunday. And then that following Monday, we were going down to whether it was Athens or Tulsa or, or Waco. And basically, you have four or five days of anticipation and, you know, preparation, getting used to the conditions and all that stuff. So it like earlier in the tournament, you have to make an adjustment. Um, you know, I think another thing that's different about this year, it seems like the NCAAs is starting a lot earlier. Um, there were, I think, two of the four years that we played NCAAs, we had like a two or three week break from the end of ACCs to the beginning of NCAAs. And so that was super interesting to see how certain teams were preparing. Um, you know, obviously kids are going through finals and exams and all that stuff, but at least in Virginia, we did a lot of inner team, like dual matches where we would have, you know, one of the teams was wearing orange, the other team was wearing blue or whatever it was. And we would set, luckily we had 
you know, in many cases we had 12 guys or if it was 11 guys and a coach that could play, we could have a legitimate dual competitive dual match that was worth either, you know, something in, in fitness or it was something that put some sort of pressure on the match. Um, and we would try to do, make it as close to a dual match environment as possible if there was that lengthy break between ACCs and NCAA. So that's just something that Bowen did with us. I, again, I don't know how they're preparing now that there is less time between the two tournaments, but it'll be interesting to see how some teams come out of the gates because I know that you know preparation has a lot to do with how they, um, how they start out the tournament. I'm sorry for the tangent, but you can't give me a juicy nugget like that and not expect me to follow up the best inner Virginia squad rivalry when you guys are playing orange Oof. versus blue. Like I could see Colin and Ty like throwing rackets yep. at each other. Colin and JC again, Colin and JC, those two literally would get close to, you know, coming to blows whenever <laughs> they would play. They're both so competitive in different ways. I think JC's more of like a silent assassin and he's, Probably one of the best competitors I've ever come across. But then Colin, as everybody knows, is more vocal and he doesn't necessarily hide his emotions. So those battles were always fun. Bowen would be smart because during like the middle of the season when he needed to get guys riled up, he would probably put that matchup out there. But, you know, I think towards the end of the season, putting JC and, and Colin on the same team, especially because they were playing doubles together. That's normally how it would work <laughs> out. But I mean, again, if we're playing for something, you got 12 people in there that are super competitive. And we all have, you know, all this anxiety because we know NCAAs is coming up. Everyone, everybody wants to play well. Um, so every single court was uh, was an absolute war. Uh, that's the footage I want to see when we do our eventual yeah. 30 for 30 style podcast that our producer wants so badly. That's the yeah. stuff we're playing. Um, but all right, uh, enough of that. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about the title contenders. The way we're mm-hmm. going to be doing this list, go from the people we see as the longest shots to obviously mm-hmm. the top dogs, the top four seeds, all of the head honchos yep. heading into the race. I mentioned before, mm-hmm. I think my list is always a little bit longer than the average uh, list. I have 11 yep. teams I want to talk about, and I, okay. I, I imagine that's longer than yours. Yeah, so I have seven legitimate title contenders, and then I have two teams that are like maybes that I wouldn't necessarily con- – like I don't think that they could go all the way, but I do think that they could pull a big upset and, and go make a deep run into the tournament. I can't say I have more than nine teams that I can see making it to the Final Four, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I mean, we can, we can start off whenever you want. But I, I think that there is a – you know, obviously it's a bigger group this year, but – it's just really hard, man. If you think about it, like going back to probably 1960, I think there's only like 10 total schools that have ever won NCAAs. And so to say like, you know, there is like, of course, upsets can happen, but it's it's like a really, really, really hard thing to do to win this tournament. And so I think um, that's sort of why my list gets a little bit smaller. No, I I completely agree with you, and that's why I wanted to have you on, because you're going to see things that I don't. (laughs) Um, Let's start with my longest shot, someone I don't think you have in the list, because as I mentioned, a little bit longer. A lot Mm -hmm. of mine are top seeds, too, so the list is pretty intuitive. Uh, My long shot team, one I thought I had to mention— the 17-5 mm-hmm. and five UCLA Bruins. Now, they are, okay. I believe, the number 11 seed coming into this event. So you look mm-hmm. at who they match up with. I believe they're going to match up with uh, 
let me think. A number six seed would be they would ma- Baylor. Uh, yeah, that's correct. They would match up with Baylor. Mm-hmm. They've got Grand Canyon in their first match, who they almost lost mm-hmm. to earlier in the year, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, a matchup then with the winner of Oklahoma State, Mississippi, both good teams. But yeah. e- even looking beyond that, the reason why I have them as a as a slight title contender, you know, they're a team that their top three does a ton of the heavy lifting. Now they lost Con- yeah. Connor Hans earlier in the year with an ankle injury. But, you know, mm-hmm. Nanda's want to transition to her title at three. Keegan yep. Smith is as talented as they come at the two singles mm-hmm. position. And then Cressy won a f- challenger earlier in the year. Yeah. I mean, that speaks for themselves. Yeah. Isn't there a world mm-hmm. where, you know, it doesn't rain, but it's windy outdoors and that UCLA team sneaks off enough doubles points, you know, finds maybe that one round of 16 point at four singles and then can run the table up top? Isn't that feasible? I mean, of course it's possible, and they are heavy at the top. I think um, – I don't know how windy it's going to be in L.A. I honestly think that they could – that team, like you said, they're good. They're they're heavy at the top. They probably have pretty good doubles. I haven't kept up with UCLA too much, but just thinking about guys like Smith and Cressy and Nanda's just a great overall player. Obviously, they have one of the most respected and experienced coaches in the country. Um, but – they're just hitter. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if Oklahoma State or if, if Mississippi takes them out second round. But UCLA is a team that I think could make it to the Elite Eight or Sweet 16. I don't know if they're beating Baylor. But, um, you know, it, it's such a crapshoot. You know, I could see possibly them pulling an upset, but I don't know about going all the way. Well, here's the thing. You look at their matches throughout the year. Again, five losses. It speaks to their level of play. They took three early losses. Uh, they lost uh, at Chicago or in Chicago in a warm-up before mm-hmm. the indoors, 4-2 to Illinois. They win the doubles yeah. point, though, in that match and have just a bunch of matches. They lose in third sets. So you yeah. take that with a grain of salt. They lost 4-3 to UCLA at the indoors. Uh, you know, they lose 4-0 to TCU in that follow-up match, but didn't have Keegan Smith there. And then they mm-hmm lose Mm -hmm. an early one to USC but then they run the table from there until that late loss to Cal this is a team that's been playing better and better as the season has gone along I I really liked Ben Goldberg when I met him personally so maybe I'm a little Mm -hmm. bit biased as well but there's there's an outside chance is what I'm trying to say I wouldn't write him off yet yeah I I think a storied program like that you can't necessarily treat them like they're nothing but it's it's going to be an uphill battle from from teams like somewhat the beginning of the tournament for them but yeah i guess we'll see yeah if soto and boytan hadn't been playing so well for baylor there's a world where they steal the doubles point take the top three and you know steal that quarterfinal win but we can save uh the baylor talk for later that's just what i want to i mean any final thoughts on ucla so yeah maybe there are maybe there are maybe again i don't see them going all the way there they could maybe squeak uh, an elite eight but another thing that again this is probably not the most appropriate thing to talk about. And I don't have that much insight into the UCLA program. Again, when it comes down to winning in May and winning in the NCAA tournament, something that far too many times goes um, sort of unsaid is the closest teams and the teams that have the most team camaraderie where it's all about the team and not any specific individual seem to have more success when it comes to the NCAA tournament. And I know that one of their, again, I'm not, I don't don't have to bullshit on it. Cressy, I don't know him personally. I've read some of the stuff. I see some of the social media. I don't know if that, him being the leader of that team, I don't know if it's all about UCLA in his mind and he's the one who's leading that squad. I think that might, you know, work against them when it comes to the NCAA tournament. And I have no problem saying that publicly. I just think 
from my experience, I think, you know, the team chemistry goes a long way in this tournament. And I don't know personally how how um, big that is for UCLA. So we'll see how it works out for them. It's such a corny thing to keep saying, but it's really true. The team that loves each other the most at the, the end most? is the one that wins. They're the ones who, 100%. yeah, you weather the storm when there's a hook, you know, you lose. Dude, a it always comes down nights. to a centimeter here and there. It comes down to these small, small margins. And I feel like there are some tennis gods out there that look out for the team that are willing to, you know, do it for the cumulative, you know, for the group rather than the individual. And, I don't know. I guess time will tell, but it's it's definitely true. I would say that 100%. Yeah, which leads me perfectly to my next team I want to talk about. The numbers 10 seed TCU Corn Frogs. Now, they also mm-hmm. flamed out of their conference tournament, losing in, I believe, the quarterfinal round uh, to either yep. to Texas Tech, maybe Oklahoma State. Um, nope, it was Oklahoma State 4-2. But you look at mm-hmm. this team throughout the season, you know, they had a really good indoors. They go 19-6 and overall, yep. lose a terrible match in in January to Tulsa, but you kind of throw that out mm-hmm. at this point. 4-3. Tulsa to- always squeaks that. Tulsa always squeaks some sort of an upset. I feel like for somehow they're like don't make the tournament or they barely squeak into the tournament, they, but they beat a top ten, top fifteen team every year. It's because you go to Tulsa and it's a fing windstorm, and you're like, what am I supposed I to do, dude? I love Tulsa. Tulsa is one of my favorite cities in the country. Man. That place. That's that where place they awesome. they play the All American there, and then the Pan Am, right? The ITF. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, you would like it there, of course. I feel like big hitters, you can kind of thrive there. That kick no, serve man, in the wind. Like Honestly, I only like it there because we got a title. There. There's not much to like about Tulsa, but um, yeah, that's that's probably the only reason. Honestly, it's probably one of the only reasons I like Waco somewhat. But yeah, no, that's that's for a different time. Yeah, of course. Well, that's fair. But you again, getting back to this TCU team, not sure if you have them on your list. Uh, but their only loss on the year, it's all good losses. You know, 5-2 at Baylor. They lose 6-1 to Texas at home, but a ton of third sets mm-hmm. there. 4-3 North Carolina, 4-3 Florida. Again, the two shaky losses on the year. But the, the senior presence they have in their lineup, Rybakov is at one, playing his best tennis. Reese Stalder, mm-hmm. he's kind of been struggling through the year, but if he's ever going to pick it up, it's going to be when you're a senior on your last weekend, mm-hmm. the job in NCAAs. They've got yep. a highly ranked doubles team talent. Uh, you know, Sander Jong at six for them has really stepped up. The, yeah. Again, there's a case. Yeah, again, I think um, also very well coached. I think Coach Roditi's awesome i think like you said rybakov is a stud he's um you know i would say a lock majority of times playing at number one um he's been playing really really well all year and i just in general man ribo's ribo's a baller i think other than that though like yeah they have a highly ranked doubles team they just have like sort of within their lineup it's sort of like a roller coaster and god forbid you know ribo's on ribo's off one day or you know, Reese doesn't get it together for the NCAA tournament. Like, I feel like things really need to align for them to have a hitter's chance to make some noise in the tournament. I, I completely agree with you, and I feel like I've been a little bit soft on, you know, my thoughts. I, again, getting back to UCLA, why I don't have them higher, it's because 4, 5, 6, it's so hard for them to find wins. Uh, you look at mm-hmm. it for this TCU thing, it's been the sort of similar three through, you know, uh, Burtis Kruger at four did have a good year, but whether it's, you know, Gray throws a bad match at two or mm-hmm. Famba gets broken at five, this is they yeah. lose a lot, uh, not a lot of doubles points, but it seems like against the best teams they've been losing doubles points. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, you look at their draw. They beat Mississippi State earlier in the year. Yeah, that was an indoor match, but they lost the doubles point in that match and just cruised in singles. That gives you confidence yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, uh, again, they have 
because they have certain spots that are good, and I think, like I said, Rybakov is so good, they're well coached, they have the ability to make, to pull an upset here and there. But if we're talking title town, um, again, things are going to have to align. Like, it, it's, again, it, it's a long shot in my opinion, but when you have that type of talent and you have that kind of coaching, I think, uh, yeah, anything is possible. Yeah, and so with that, we can move into our next sort of tier of groups. And just to distinguish mm-hmm. uh, what I think is the difference between those previous teams and this one, you talked about it, at, at, you know, multiple days in a row. They have to bring their best tennis. I think these next yeah. teams we're going to talk about, they have that bigger margin for error where it's okay. We mm-hmm. can we know we're going to get a result here or we're going to get a result here. And so it's okay if we lose mm-hmm. there and there. Um, yeah. You mentioned you have nine teams. I imagine the two teams you have a little bit further out, USC and UNC exactly those are my two teams okay I have them in the same category as well and so we can kind of lump them together you look at their okay. records on the year USC ends the se- they're 20 and 7 but they ended the season mm-hmm. much more strongly than they began uh, they yep. lost to UCLA during the season but then they ended up winning their conference tournament they've been playing mm-hmm. around with the lineup all year mm-hmm. long do I play Logan Smith Tanner Smith Riley Smith who are these you know yeah. which one's my son I don't even remember yeah. um, and they, yeah. they seem to have finally settled you know Logan Smith uh, playing in the bottom of the lineup with Riley, and then they keep playing around yeah. with the six singles, Sons, and just whoever. Um, it, yeah. It, so that that's the USC side. I guess we can start there. It's just because yeah. they have so much talent, right? That uh, it's exactly. It, it's, yeah, I'm sort of shocked that they're obviously they won their conference tournament and they're, um, you know, what are they seated ten or what? What are they seated? Top, they're top eight. 10? They got the eight seed. Eight seed. Okay. So you have, and for some reason, SC always has some sort of a swagger going into the NCAA tournament. Not for some reason. Obviously, they've won it so many times, and I think Peter Smith probably leads that pack in terms of at least confidence going into the the tournament. But like you said, they just have talent all around, so it's sort of shocking to see them not have a more dominant season. I think Holt, obviously, is a top 10 player in the country, in my opinion. He's got the ability to compete and play with anybody at the top spot and, and win. Then Kukirman, also a very strong number two, possibly one of the strong, I would say a top three or top four number two in the country. And then at the bottom of the lineup, um, you know, they got talented guys at three and four. Is it Verbovens? He's playing one of those spots, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, Logan Smith is a guy that, you know, throughout his career has played as high as three and, and been sort of a lock at three. And I know he was a really good junior coming up. So you got to think that if these guys sort of play up to their potential, they, there's a lot of talent on that team. Like I said, coaching matters. They play pretty good doubles. So they, again, have the the experience in terms of coaching, and they have the talent around uh, from top to bottom to be able to to pull some matches together and, and make some noise. But I think, again, you're banking on certain guys who haven't played well all year to get it together in the most pressure-packed moment uh, of the season. So that's why it's sort of a long shot. When both Virginia and USC lost in the quarterfinals of the indoors, they played a backdraw match on the back courts. And again, at the time I grew up watching college tennis, I was like, this is the rivalry. And so I'm watching yeah. this match on the back courts. I'm like, are you guys seeing this? Like, I, I, why yeah, is no, no one watching this match? And so, of course, <laughs> you never want to write them off. You look at them in doubles. They have a ton of teams with a ton of continuity. Obviously, Holt yep. and Riley Smith had a professional success as well as being a top yep. 10 team throughout multiple multiple years now uh, in college mm-hmm. tennis. Jaden Verboven have played together now their second year. Cuckerman, Tanner yep. Smith, uh, or Jake Sands, more Bullis. Yeah, they just have so many options they can turn to. 
The yep. big problem for me, they went down to Texas and beat them. Now that was right around when yeah. uh, Coach, uh, Coach, Center, yeah, yeah, Coach Center had been. Uh, uh, going through all of his stuff, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And they also yeah. lost to Texas at the team indoors. So you kind of write those off. Um, but yeah. this is a team since conference play started, their only loss was a four, three loss at UCLA. I mean, it's a yeah. team that's gotten better and better throughout the season. It sucks that they're going to have to match up with number one, Ohio state as early as they do. And, you know, when they went yeah. down to Columbus, they got smoked. Uh, they're, mm-hmm. they're fortunate. They're not going to have to do that again, but I, yeah. I don't know. It's hard. It's certainly hard to beat a team twice. You think uh, USC comes into that match with that prior experience having it, that sort of helps them? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think SC and Ohio, like I wouldn't want to, if I was Ohio State, I would not want to play SC in the NCAA tournament. That would be in the Elite Eight, right? So, again, outdoors, they played, I'm assuming, indoors in Columbus. Um, like you said, Ohio State beat them earlier in the year, so it's tough to beat a team twice. You got a team that's peaking versus a team that obviously like rumbled through the conference and the tournament and probably hasn't played the highest competition. Um, I think it's a different matchup outside. If you go top to bottom, that match could be a war. Um, and it's going to depend on who shows up that day. But if Ohio State comes out flat, that could be an upset in the making. So again, I think Ohio, uh, USC is very capable of pulling like something like that off. But I would sort of hold them in though that two like between them and UNC as the two teams on the outside looking in in terms of title contention. Yeah, and you know we, we can move on to UNC. But if USC and Ohio State end up matching up, you won't know Coach Smith's lineup till right before. But if it's Riley Smith versus Alex Cobalt at five, I'm telling you in advance, I will not watch a second of that match. Yeah, that's no, there's not going to be much to watch. <laughs> serving and, 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 and but uh, hey, man, that's that's tennis too. And I think in college though, those kind of guys guys uh like they're just they, they compete so hard you gotta you gotta tip your hat to them because it's not always the prettiest but they try to get the job done for the squad so yeah no they deserve each other for sure uh for but sure. yeah so let's move on to the other side of that equation the number nine seed mm-hmm. unc you know your yep. virginia cavaliers go two and oh on them on the year but this is a team that's 18 and six still tremendously solid mm-hmm. they've got you know boyden's been international final blumberg's been in a mm-hmm. national final them and the wake forest and ohio state guys are really the only three teams that have guys that can say that and that means yeah. something right yeah for sure again you got Blumberg who's obviously the leader of that team who freshman year was one of the top players if not the best player in the country was a stud in the NCAA final and the tournament in general Boyden was super clutch and he's shown that he can show up for big matches time and time again um there are two guy the Canadian kid Benjamin I can't Seguin Seguin yeah he's a I mean he's damn good you know so when you have three spots like that that are either very competitive or are going to be favorites heading in. I think Blumberg, honestly, like I know he probably has taken a couple more losses this year, but Blumberg can go up against uh, Gojo and, and beat him. I think Blumberg can beat Wolf. He's one of the most, he's, he's the most athletic player in the country and he's probably one of the most skilled as well. So you got a guy like that at the top of the lineup that that team can play doubles. Um, they compete really hard. They're super gritty. So UNC, Again, I know they're outside looking in because they've been a little bit down this year, but they have spots where they can make a run for sure. Sort of like they did um they did in twenty seventeen. I don't think that they were a top No, I think they, they were a top? seven seed. Yeah, a seven or seed, eight exactly. Maybe, yeah. yeah, and they had spots in that lineup where Blumberg was sort of a lock, Schneider was really good, um, Boyden at the bottom of the lineup, and then you get guys who can have a hot day. I don't know if they're gonna play Sundergaard or not. 
And I know he's very hot and cold, but I mean, I've seen that guy beat Carl. I've also seen him lose at five or six against some of the lower ranked teams in the ACC. So you have guys that can, if they, if they get hot, UNC can be uh, a very tough team to beat in the tournament. And the big thing to circle, you mentioned it, Will Blumberg hasn't been healthy all season long. I know he had off season surgery going into the year and it's just a matter of, you know, can he find the right form? Because you're right. This is a team. I mean, you talk about Boyden. I think he's playing four or five now. That's usually a lock for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he's playing five. You have Peck uh, and Kyger and just so much talent littered throughout yeah, that Yeah, Sarnock lineup. is good, too. Sarnock's yeah, a player. That's yeah. Who I was yeah, and so it's just a matter of, you know, that they have to match up with a similar USC team is kind of funny. It, it's just a great matchup. Yeah. and. You know, you probably give a slight edge to USC just because they're going to be playing at home. But yeah. I mean, that is a super regional match to watch. I guess if sure. if you were Las Vegas and or you want to give a comparison, what would you say is the comparison for USC and UNC in terms of their chances? Maybe in NBA Ooh. terms, you know, are they a plus one thousand? Uh, what are we seeing? I'm not a, honestly like I'm not a big uh, you know like I, I don't gamble on sports i don't can't even use like the terminology but if i were to i'm a big nba guy so i can tell you i think if they win it it's sort of like i think philly maybe Ooh. i don't see philly philadelphia obviously like they got the talent um see, I... they've been up and down it's going to be hard for them to be able to for example for philly to beat toronto and then to go beat either milwaukee or boston and then to come and beat golden state i think in the finals tough you know so i would say philly maybe portland but it's just so hard to compare because i think the west is decided but that's that's what i would rate them as <laughs> see i had ucla is the oklahoma city thunder just with every oh, okay. pair i didn't know if we, i didn't know if we were using like the teams that are left now no 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 they can be eliminated yeah. because like the the I, i'm sorry the crusty westbrook comparisons talk you know they yeah. speak for themselves uh for sure. they're just the the top heavy team that got the superstars sorry ucla team i really am a fan of yours i'm not saying this in a negative yeah. connotation russell westbrook's great uh yeah, you right. know he's winning challengers while he's still in hard, college yeah, yeah. exactly he's, he's He's averaging a triple double, but it it seems like it's hard to play with him, regardless of what what anybody says. Yeah. I mean, Russ is tough. No, but. you know sometimes Russ doesn't serve in volley because he just isn't feeling yeah. like coming in, and you're like, come on, yeah. Russ, like get a pat, yeah. you know, move past the service line. Um, yeah, no, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I would say. I would say they're like Portland. You know, we know these teams. We've seen mm-hmm. what they do. They're very talented. If things break right for them, like they have for Portland thus far, maybe they go on a run. Yeah. Uh, but they're yeah. not—they're not the top-heavy team. You know, they're, they're, the roster doesn't scream out at you. But that brings us to my next category, and I have these halved in two. I have two teams. Uh, yeah, I would say. Nah, let's go three teams in my, you know, tier B of my top contenders, and then four teams uh-huh. in my tier A. And I think there is a division. Uh, the team I want to start with, and you might get mad at me at this, so I apologize. Mm-hmm. Your Virginia Cavaliers, my Virginia—they're yep. mine too. Our Virginia Cavaliers, yep. who yep. come into obviously with a really impressive win over UNC at the ACC tournament. They had Wake Forest on the ropes. You know, they win the doubles point. Mm-hmm. Brandon plays the match of his season, going up a set and five-one on Petros. Henrik yep. is battling with Barbotzer, and it looks like it's coming down to those two positions now. Obviously, Wake Forest wins that match um yep. but for your cavaliers you know ashwin Lizon is really starting to find his form at the bottom of the lineup gianni ross finally getting a couple of wins together how are yep. you feeling about your team headed into the postseason i'm feeling good I mean, i'm glad that you didn't I, I again i think that this team is 
in a unique position where they have three guys that are playing in the lineup that have experience in winning a national championship. And although, you know, obviously Carl and, and Henrik were playing in the singles lineup when we won it in 2017, Ash was a very, very big part of our success. So you have three guys that are the three main leaders of the team who know what it takes to go all the way, understand the journey that they're about to go into. Um, and I think that, again, that experience is, in, I mean, you can't put, there's nothing, you can't buy that experience, you know? Um, and like I said, so few teams have won it. So I think that it puts Virginia in a very unique position. Again, Andres Pedroso, who's the head coach now, was a part of a national championship team in 2013. Um, so just these, we talk about how it comes down to inches. They've been in these these situations and they understand how to handle them. So honestly, I'm, I'm really confident. I know how I have insight into the team. I know how close and how much this team loves each other. I mean, these guys are as close as it gets. Um, and they're really strong in a lot of spots. I mean, Carl has been one of the best players in the country this year, hands down. I mean, he has wins over Blumberg, Krisokos, Gojo, uh, Holt. I mean, you name it. He's literally taken out some of the best players in the country. And he's only lost to a select few that are very strong as well. So to have a guy like that who um, is playing at probably the best, probably best tennis of his career right now going into the big tournament, I think that's a big deal. And then you know you can rely on Henrik. You know what you're going to get from him. He's as solid as it gets. You have a guy like Ash at the bottom of the lineup who is miserable to play against. He's been super successful in that 5-6 spot. And then you have talent in other spots. You know, like you said, Johnny is a hell of a player. He's sort of been up and down this year, but he seems to be peaking at the right time. He's got some wins under his belt. Um, they were dealing with an injury with Ryan Getz, but he's healthy as of right now. And um, he's also a hell of a player. Uh, and then Brandon. I mean, I, I haven't even spoken about Brandon, but this guy is a top five junior in the world. He's been super successful this year. He had Petros on the ropes. Um, so this team, again, they're from top to bottom are as sound as it gets. So, again, it all comes down to a couple points here and there. But I think Virginia's got a great, great chance to win it this year. And, and you know, they're I know for sure that they're going to do whatever it takes to give themselves the best chance to win. There are a couple of places I want to go off of that. Number one, the sound that comes off of Brandon's racket when he hits a forehand well is just, it's yeah. something else. You're just like, this kid He's, does it differently. Yeah, he hits the ball so clean. It just, he has that skill. You know, there's a, there's a, a regular strike that majority of players that play in college, and then there's like sort of a pro ball that a few guys that are uh, in college tennis hit, and Brandon's got that got that about his game you know he's just such a clean ball striker it's it's amazing to watch yeah i completely agree with you and then uh the other thing in terms of just the lineup itself i someone i think it was chris hallioris described carl sort he's just a cockroach like the guy just survives like it's unbelievable that match against blumberg was unlike anything yeah he's a viking dude he is (laughs) that's the thing about carl that i think goes unnoticed as well obviously when he's playing playing like really well he's um dominant but carl's got the ability even when he's not playing well and he's not feeling the ball to still compete and he gives himself a chance to win and that's all you can ask from a guy you know if he comes out and the ball's not coming off the strings the how he wants he's such a good athlete and he's such a good mover and he plays every single point that for the guys that are playing next to him and the rest of the lineup they know at the very least regardless of how carl's playing we're going to have a chance with Carl because he's going to stay out there as long as it takes. Yeah, oh, um, if I, I think that goes a long way. If I have to watch another one of his forehand or backhand slices, I mean, oh, it just floats <laughs> in. It just, like, barely floats in. 
Yeah, he does whatever it takes. But I appreciate that both he and Henrik got the haircuts. The ponytails are gone. This is a team looking geared up for the offseason. And if you're looking for an argument for them, the draw broke beautifully. Now they're going to they match up if all seating holds. And they play a dangerous South Carolina team, probably second round. So very dangerous. And they're aware and they they know South Carolina can play, too. And, you know, and just there have been certain matchups. I know, like, I think Carl's lost to the South Carolina number one guy. Yeah, job. So like they're they're gonna be ready to play. I think their draw is challenging, but it sort of gradually becomes more and more competitive, uh, which is what you would ideally want. Well, yeah, he, yeah there's the thing. So let, they get that test against again the South Carolina team. They had Mississippi State on the ropes in the SEC mm-hmm. semifinals, but if they can get through that, they then match up with a Stanford team that they beat four two at the indoors in that match. They lost the doubles point, but ended up rallying in singles and. You know, mm-hmm. I think that it's always good when you play a team that you've known before. The thing that really sticks out to me is that then they'd get Wake Forest, who they have now seen three times. They obviously beat yeah. them early in the year without Gojo. Lost mm-hmm. the next two. Before. No, with Gojo. With Gojo. They beat him with Gojo. Oh, that, in Charlottesville? Yeah, I'm Carl, wrong. Yeah, Carl. You're I'm, right. Yeah, I think Carl won. Um, but Gojo was in there because I know Carl and Gojo played at one. I'm not sure if they finished. But I know Carl was either – he either won or he was up like 5-1 or 5-2 in the third. Uh, let me look this up. Carl was – you are correct. He, no, he won it 4-6-7-6-6-1. Good call. You, oh, nice. yeah, yeah. you are the one who played for them. Makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just to get to play a team you know that well. I mean a fourth yeah. matchup on the year. There's no secrets. Both teams know the recipe to beat one another. For a Virginia mm-hmm. team that, yes, they have Carl and Henrik and Ash in terms of experience, but that is feeling its way out into the later stages. That is the sort of matchup you want where those sort of nerves go out the window because it's a conference opponent and rival in wake. Yeah, I would agree. I think they know what to expect. Um, they can game plan. There are certain matchups. There are certain tendencies that they've already felt out from the multiple matchups this year. So it'll be a comfortable match. Obviously, it's a very heavy pass. It's going to be challenging regardless of who you play in the Elite Eight. So I think it actually works in Virginia's favor to play against a team that they're familiar with and they you know there aren't going to be necessarily any surprises so yeah. um actually for both teams i think it's sort of it helps out so i think it should be a good quality match here's uh and hopefully they both get there well, hopefully i don't yeah. know i mean i i and i just <laughs> want michigan to win i would love to see a michigan yeah. title um but the the thing and uh, i it just has to be said the reason why i don't know if this virginia team will have the the be able to muster up those late round efforts they find themselves in a lot of 1-0 deficits after the doubles point and that's yeah. just going to be so critical for them this uh this tournament yeah for sure doubles point in the ncaa tournament is very very important i think the margins like i said are very small and a lot of the team you know you'll see a lot of four threes you'll see a lot of matches come down to you know a court here and there so you know i, I always remember telling the guys when i was playing and even speaking to the guys now like the doubles point is something that you've got to be ready for way before the match actually starts you know it's the momentum and um luckily they've had the experience to fight back from a 1-0 deficit but you obviously don't want to have to be dealing with that um in the ncaa so it's going to be important for them to sort of sharpen that up and make sure that they're ready to go from the beginning of the of the dual match and hopefully they can win more doubles points um coming into the tournament and i can't wait till we get the message of all you guys did was talk about virginia it's like yeah well get over (laughs) it but uh the last thing i want to ask you on this team and it's a personal question i apologize for that but you know no disrespect to matthew lord or will woodall i'm sure you missed the game have you texted carl at any point be like dude just let me slide in at one doubles and we'll take the point oh man 
I would, dude, I would, even though I haven't hit a ball since January, <laughs> I would literally pay an insane amount of money to have one more go around at this thing. It's so much fun. Nothing against Lord or Woodall. Um, I think they understand where I'm coming from, but I would do anything, man. That, I, that's for sure. Do you think you could get it back in prime doubles form in two weeks? <clears throat> I, the thing about doubles is that it's, it's so fast. I think I would struggle with the speed because I haven't hit a ball in so long, and I obviously haven't played competitively in so long. But I'll tell you what, the energy would be there. I'd be fired <laughs> up. So even if, even if we took a, a 6-1 loss – I would uh, try to stretch it out, and I'd get the guys on the other courts fired up. So that's uh, that's that's definitely uh, that would be my role, I think, as of now. That's funny. Well, are you willing to uh, predict UVA as the 2019 national title, or do you want to hold off on that for a little bit? No, yeah, you can put my name down for that. I rock with the Who's, so I, I got them. <laughs> I got them. I, I believe in the Who's, and if I have to choose a team to win it, I'm going to go with UVA. Oh, I'm glad we can get you on the record. Well, then the team we can transition to the other te- uh, the other one of two teams I have in this category of. Just below my top contenders, uh, a team uh-huh. I'm sure you are also partially loyal to now. That's Brian Bolin's Baylor Bears, who are coming into this tournament hot after winning the Pac-12 postseason conference yeah. title. Uh, they're 22-5. and five. They now know Roy Smith will not be coming back this season, but they do have a lot yeah. of options they can turn to. I mean, yeah. this is a team that... It, they're just so deep, you know, one through six, every guy's so talented. They may not mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, a top, a guy in the top five of the ITA rankings, but they do have yeah. a top doubles team. They're just, they're just going to fight you. They're a typical Brian Bolin postseason team. Yeah, it's honestly, it's amazing. And I know I don't want to sound like I'm obviously I'm biased towards Bolin and I, and I, I think that he's unbelievable, but you know, in the beginning of the season, we were talking, we were hitting so much about, Oh, you know, Benitez and Roy Smith and, the British kid that they got and all these guys and Baylor is just doing it. Like, you know, they're so shady and all this. And literally none of these guys were part of their, uh, big 12 tournament. (laughs) run. It's It's amazing. It's amazing how quickly it's happened because you got a team that's very, very similar to the one that they had last year. Um, I know they have a couple of freshmen that have been, uh, great in their lineup, but I mean, it's tough to win a tournament, the big 12 tournament without, Arguably, you know, without the number one player in Smith, we thought Benitez was going to be eligible, but he wasn't. He's a guy that could have made a massive role. He played a massive role in the lineup. And then I guess the British kid isn't eligible till next year. I just don't. It's it's Bowen's magic, I guess, in a way. But it's been really, really impressive what he's done this year in, in such a short amount of time. What I really like about this team is the recipe for them to win can come in, you know, the match calculus can come in so many different ways. Obviously, yeah. they are, they're so solid in doubles. The team of Shredder and Franzen at three, I mean, it's just, yeah. it, or, you know, sometimes it feels like that team should just be illegal, how big they are. Yeah, uh, they're like, massive. Yeah. You don't see teams like that at three, usually. You see those guys at one because it's sort of a crapshoot, but... And they have a, a solid team at one. I think they're number one team, one in the country. That's what I'm saying, and you can't even argue because, you know, Law and Bendick have taken some bad losses recently, but yeah. they were number one in the country at one point this season. And then Soto yeah. has been playing as good as anyone in the country at two. Will Little, mm-hmm. a senior, a battler, he knows the plays yeah. by now. This is a yeah. team that wins doubles points, and we've said it yeah. before. It it so often just comes down to that, du- that doubles point, that little bit of separation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they obviously give themselves the best chance. They don't have, like I mean, we've spoken about, they have some guys, especially at the top of the lineup, that aren't necessarily, you know, All-Americans and, and some of the more talented guys in the country. But, you know, going up 1-0, it gives the confidence to certain guys, and it, it changes the dynamic of a match. So um, it definitely works in Baylor's favor, and I think for them to have a chance to win it, I, I personally put them in my top 
six. I had them at six um, to go all the way. Ooh. I think, um, yeah, I, I think, again, they have a hitter's chance. They have Boland, who has done it time and time and again. So it'll be interesting to see how, how it works out. So I have them number six as well. My issues with them, we kind of gave the positives. You know, Shredder is a great player, but when you're in the final rounds, you know, you're going up against J.J. Wolves or Borna yeah. Gojos or Nuno Borges. And it, it's just like he, you were, you know, for those teams, you'll write, okay, we have to get that point there. That's an obvious yeah. one. Uh, six yeah. singles, they can play a bunch of different guys, but when you play a bunch of different guys – means you don't really have a guy there exactly and and so that's another spot you attack yes they win a lot of doubles points but all of these teams really freaking good at doubles yeah i, I guess yeah i think it, yeah great I'm, I'm trying to think of my comp for them now i guess are they uh, no see because toronto has Kawhi. i'm trying to think of who they yeah. would be at this point i mean they're a little denvery yeah i would say because jokic obviously is good but he's he jumps off the screen, but in such a different way. He's not even like an Embiid or um, he's, he's there. not like the flashiest. He's but Sven La. He's a game changer. Sven yeah. La, lock at five singles, part of the one doubles duo. He just does it all for him. Yeah, yeah, no, I would agree. I think, uh, again, hitter's chance and very well coached. So uh, Baylor's definitely got to be a team to, to keep an eye out for. Perfect. Well, then now from here, since we both have number six, who is your number five team? My number five team is Ohio State. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah, I have Ohio State at five, and I didn't actually mention my number seven team. And now that I'm looking at it, I, I'm not sure if they should be seven. I had Mississippi State at seven. Ooh. Um, I know Mississippi State has only lost twice, and I think both the losses were at indoors, right? Uh, yeah. They, so they lost once in the re- in the regular season as well uh, to Florida at, at home, oh. or Florida was at home. Florida. Okay, so again, I put Mississippi State at seven. Ooh, um, underranked. That, yeah, it probably underranked. Now that I'm looking at it, obviously Nuno Borges is one of those guys too that can beat anybody on any given day. They seems like they've had the same lineup literally for five years, <laughs> um, and they play really good doubles. But I just I don't know. I feel like at, while they can compete with some of the top teams, since some of their guys after Borges aren't the strongest i feel like they could also compete with a team like you know unc for example can beat them or a team even um like illinois can compete with them the guys that it just god forbid again god forbid borges doesn't doesn't win and if they lose the doubles point it's going to be hard for them to win so i had them at seven probably under rank uh but going back to ohio state yeah i have them at five man i think outdoors different different ball game um i know that they've been you know, pretty consistent all year. I think they've been number one in the country from basically all season. Um, and they got a lock at one with Wolf. Um, I think if he loses, I know he's only lost once this year and it was the Fenty from Michigan, but I would, I would probably put my money on Wolf against anybody at this point for the way he's been playing. The only thing that always that worries me if I was an Ohio state fan is that these guys roll through the big 10 every single year. And it's really hard to go from playing majority indoors you don't have the stiffest competition, and then you go outdoors, it's hot, you're not used to the conditions, and you're, let's say, lose a doubles point, or you're in, you know, five th- third sets. It's it's tough if you don't have that under your belt all season long, and I think that's hurt Ohio State over and over again. I know they've done a better job to keep their um, non-conference schedule super competitive, but I don't know. I, I The bottom of that lineup – Although it's been good this year, like we've spoken about, I think Cobelt is one of the best stories in college tennis. That guy 
was lucky enough to get a spot on that roster. Obviously, just be, you know, it seems like it was because his brother was so successful there. But the way that that kid's improved, I remember seeing him practicing like his freshman year and like just hitting with the team. That kid's become a player. Um, but the bottom of the lineup is is shaky. And again, if Ohio State loses the doubles point and uh, some of those guys get tight when the moment gets big because they're not used to you know being in those uh, you know high adversity situations, I sort of get a little bit skeptical about them. So you said a lot there that I want to touch on. Yeah. I, I'm going to save Mississippi State because I have them a little bit later. Let's talk about Ohio mm-hmm. State. This team is 29-2 and two on the year. Yep. Their two losses come in a Texas swing. They lose at Texas yeah, A&M. Like back yeah, matches. 4-3 at Texas, 4-1. Both of those matches without J.J. Wolf, who was off playing a challenger at the mm-hmm. time. And they were outdoors, though, right? Yeah, and both they were both outdoors. So obviously, you know, there's an asterisk next to those two losses, of course. Yeah. That being yeah. said, I, I love the way you listed that counter-argument. Yes, the outdoor issue is real. You play all season indoors. You're forced to go outdoors. You're not used to wind. You're not used to adjusting for sun and all of these different things. And how many times has that been a factor for Ohio State? Uh, yeah. You know, Too many, so I completely agree with you. But the where I—and so I have them as my number two contender. Mm-hmm. I just— I got to be at that match in Ann Arbor to see the way that team responded to the adversity. First of all, that Ann Arbor crowd was fucking ruckus. Like it was, really? it was one of the best crowds I've ever been a part of, and I've gone to too many Ann Arbor matches over the years. That being where I went to college, and so, yeah. I mean, we were on top of them. We were on fire. Miles and Fenty at two played the best set I've ever seen. I mean, we jumped on them. It was crazy. Like they, yeah. they didn't expect it. We didn't expect it. Everything was going our way. Um, mm-hmm. And to see the way that team responded, then on the scoreboard, you know, we win three first sets, they win three first sets, even more shocking for them, JJ loses a first set. Just the way they responded in the rest of their matches, they just came out firing. They stay together. They're a loud team. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way Ty Tucker, I I won't say what he said, but he reamed them out after the doubles point. Like, oh, it was, it was a thing of beauty. And it's just, yeah. I just I, the thing that the, the thing that I would say is that like again very impressive not easy to do not not easy to be down you know obviously they were in a hole it's not easy to all of a sudden you look and JJ oh JJ's gonna lose today like what the hell we haven't been used to, we haven't seen this all year I think Ohio State has been so successful in winning the Big Ten tournament that they've previously been in situations where they've been in a hole and they pulled themselves out of that tournament I think going into the NCAA tournament and I'm not saying again they could. I, I could be completely wrong. It's a little bit different when you're in a hole in the NCAA tournament and you know this is it. You know what I mean? Like there is nothing else after this. And they 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 haven't won the NCAA tournament. You know, they've won so many of these Big Ten tournament titles where it's sort of like this confidence of going in and like, okay, we've dealt with this before. You know, it, again, the turn, it was played indoors, right? I remember seeing videos of it being indoors. Mm-hmm. I just think... It's a it's a different ball game in NCAA's, and again, I could be completely wrong. And they've got a couple of studs on that team, and they, I'm sure they're very close. Um, but it's hard for me until they get it done. It's going to be hard for me to like completely buy in. 
Well, you again, let's go back to the match calculus. This team in doubles, they lost to Michigan, but that's the exception, not the rule. This, you know, a Ty yeah. Tucker team plays good doubles. I remember when they beat yeah. you guys in doubles in that semifinals, and obviously yeah. that that's a moment for them as well. But then, you know, JJ at one, I'm sure Ty Tucker usually puts a check mark next to that. Yeah. I think at five, Hunter Tubert as a senior, just so experienced. If, Is he it, playing five? No, sorry, at six. Uh, I'm sorry if I've said okay, five. Okay, six. He's yeah. a, the experience he has. If it rains and they go indoors, I think he's a lock. I watched them yeah. at the National Indoors in Chicago. It's at the bottom of the lineup that they separated themselves mm-hmm. from all of these other teams. Yeah. They just have so many different – Kyle Selig at four is just a nightmare. Joyce can hit yeah. you off the court if he's serving well. McNally, he's not mm-hmm. afraid of anything. He's down 05. Yeah. That finger starts you know, waving up a little yeah. bit more. And I'm, yeah. just, I'm just kidding, John, yeah. obviously. Uh, but – they're uh, uh, they're really f***ing good this year. Yeah, no, they're good, and they're – I know Ty hasn't won one, but they are very well coached. I think, again, what Ty Tucker has been able to do with that team, I never heard of Hunter Tubert before. I know we – like, the, until we played them, I think it was 2017, and he must have been a sophomore. These got guys that are – I don't know if the kid's from Ohio, but he's got Midwest kids that are – like nowhere near even five-star recruits, I don't think, or, or blue-chip recruits. And they're turning into locks in the bottom of the lineup playing contending for NCAA championships. So without a doubt, like Ty Tucker needs to be respected, and he's a, a damn good coach, and he knows how to rile that team up. So you have to respect Ohio State. Again, the only reason I have them at five is because until they can prove me wrong and until – I don't know. I just think until they can change that sort of trend – um, and tightening up during uh, during the tournament in May, it's it's going to be hard for me because I just don't think from top to bottom the talent is necessarily that high. So God forbid they tighten up. I don't know what they're going to rely on, but they are very very good, and I think they could very well win the tournament. And I I could sound like an idiot. Yeah, that's right. Look, they smacked USC earlier in the year. They've really smacked everyone outside of uh, that one Texas swing. Yeah, I know this is projecting in the future, but do you think they're happy to have Wake Forest on their side of the draw? Uh, I don't, I don't know if you could be happy yeah. having Wake Forest if you're anybody, just because like the top two guys are so so good. Like, of course, JJ Wolf is probably the favorite, I would say, to beat Borna, but like that's as close as it's going to get. I mean, those are two guys that are on the tour. You know, those are two two tour guys playing in a college dual match. Um, and I think although they beat them in in um, they beat them in the finals of indoors, right? Yep, four two. Yeah, Wake uh, Wake won it last year. Wake has the experience. They've got a lot of guys who have been in tough situations in the NCAA tournament. So I don't necessarily think that they're excited to see them. I think they'd probably rather see somebody else. But um, they do have the win over them, so it could work both ways. I just (laughs) – I'm afraid your bias is going to show here. People are going to be like, oh, he's so anti-Ohio State. No, No, man. (laughs) I I, Trust me. Like, obviously, I had my beats with Ohio State, but – I respect the hell out of that program. I honestly, I respect uh, Ty Tucker and what he does and his staff. I respect, uh, you know, the guys in the lineup. Like, they are a gritty group of, of motherfuckers. So I respect <laughs> them for sure. But, again, we're talking about winning the whole thing. Like, it's going to be hard for me to 
give it up to them until they get the ring. <laughs> totally fair. Well, then, we I would say if Vegas was making odds for college tennis, they would be the odds-on favorite. Um, but we can move on to the next team, the team I have, number five, the Texas Longhorns. Now, okay. people will say that's low, and you look at what they've done this year. They're 23-3. and They lost to Ohio State in the semifinals of the indoors. They lost uh-huh. uh, 4-2 at home against USC, but that was when the Michael Center stuff was going on. Yeah. And then, of course, they lost to Baylor in that Big 12 Men's Tens Championship final. Now, you yeah. you played the outline of this Texas team your senior year, and I believe yeah. – it's funny because you kind of played the outline of the Florida team as well. So I, yeah. I think it's going to be fun as we get into those. But the th- I think this Texas team is just – it's a slight – and I know they just lost to him, but it's very similar to the Baylor team. That's why I have them stacked up similarly. Yeah, yeah. I think Texas is, is really good. I had them at number four. Um, very similar to a team that was in the elite eight. We beat them in the, yeah, elite eight in 2017. They have uh, six, six guard at one, right? Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, Super in that talented. match, and with all due respect to him, Colin beat George Goldhoff 0 and 0 in like 12 yeah. minutes. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, that was that was not a good matchup for Texas. <laughs> we were we were excited to see that one, but um, yeah, dude, they're really really good. I mean, Ito is good. Um, Leo Tellis is good. They have Harry, uh, Harry Scott who was playing i think was he playing two for them in 2017 yeah it's something crazy yeah um and so again i think we talk about possibly teams of destiny that they went through in the middle of the season that can definitely bring a team closer together um and listen they again they've beaten ohio state they've beaten some of the best teams in the country they're really good from top to bottom and uh, they have experience. So I think Texas is you – know, I have them at four, obviously. I think I, – I wouldn't be shocked if Texas won it. Here's the thing I have about them, and it's just their strengths. All of these top teams, I guess, have similar strengths. I just feel less confident. Siskard is good, but again, you compare him to – I love Oliver Crawford's game, but him, Wolf, yeah. Gojo, Nuno, I would put yeah. him a step maybe below those guys. Same thing, as good as Ito is for Texas at two, you match him up against McNally or Frisokos yeah. or uh, Riffis. It's going to take just... a hell of an effort for them to get the win at those positions yeah. against those guys. Yeah. And that's why them losing the doubles point against Baylor is concerning because they, they, they're going to need the doubles point. As good as their depth is, they don't have that stand. I mean, Siskard's freaking sweet. It's hard to say that a top 10 guy isn't a standout. I just view him a slight notch below, and that's why, as we mentioned, all seven of these teams can win that we've been talking about, but I just have them slightly lower. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think, again, very respectable Great program, good, good players, but it's going to take guys to really be on from start to finish for them to get the job done. And, but at the same time, you got to respect them. And I know I'm keeping you way too long, but last point on this Texas thing. They they match up with number 15 seed Illinois if all goes according to seed, assuming they don't get upset by Alabama, but maybe Andy Katz knows yeah. what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, they played yeah. that Illinois team really tight in Chicago, 4-3. So just... Fun matchup for them there, you know, for them to go through all this stuff with Coach Center. And, you know, it's actually interesting. I wanted to get your take, so quick tangent, and then we'll uh, get to our Mm -hmm. last three schools, I think. Um, But 
for a team to go through, and you know, you hear rumors, and I'm not going to throw anyone yeah. specifically under the bus, but I'm sure anyone who knows a college tennis roster knows of a player who they think is suspect on the roster, who just isn't as good as some of the other guys. And yeah. all this stuff yeah. happens. And so I guess part one is, what do you think about the whole coach center scandal? And have you heard things like that happening in college tennis? And then part two, what does it say about this Texas team that they've been able to rebound the way that they have? Yeah, uh, I think to start off with the first part of your question, I think you obviously have suspicions in certain programs, but um, until things become official, like you don't, like they still come as a shock. Um, I was very surprised to hear Coach Center's name come up on the list. I think he was one of the more respected, and he still is. I mean, he's he's a hell of a coach. He was at the top of the game for a very long time. He was at Texas for it seemed like forever. Um, and he made a horrible decision. Um, again, we don't know if this is the first or that this was the only incident that happened and the only uh, scandal that he was a part of. But he made a horrible decision because um, it just doesn't seem like the amount of money that he was getting to get this kid into school was worth anything. You know, I mean, like if the if he were to do like a pros and cons, obviously, like whatever, 100 grand, even if it's 200 grand, like like that that doesn't seem like it's worth it and at the expense of what. So I just feel like great coach um, who made a horrible mistake. And unfortunately it seems like it's going to define um, his career at Texas. And, you know, going on to the second part of your question, I think, like I said before, it's a, uh, th- that's a moment where a team can either completely fold or they can play for one another and, and, and come to come together and become even closer. And I think that's what the team did. You know, they went out and beat Ohio state, um, they stayed at the top of the rankings the entire season. They've been scrappy all year. So, um, you know, I think those kind of adversities, like they, they definitely play a role as a team goes into the most stressful part of the season because they've already dealt with so much that maybe some of the bigger moments in the NCAA tournament won't necessarily seem like that big of a deal because I'm sure it was very, very uh, traumatic and it was a tough experience to overcome. So, I think hats off to them for being able to stick together as a team. And, um, you know, it's an unfortunate situation. And you sort of hope that Coach Center can find a way to, you know, get over this and, and get on his feet because I think that he's a good guy who made one bad decision. And uh, it's it's not a good look for college tennis in general. Uh, you talked about the cost-benefit analysis there. Uh, I think it was the Georgetown coach or wherever that coach was yeah. who made like $2.5 million. Yeah, he got paid. Yeah, I mean, now we're talking. Got... Yeah, yeah, two and a half mil. I mean, that's that's cash. and He's, he's living big, and it's funny because I don't know how much. He, he's probably not getting paid. He wasn't getting paid much at Georgetown. I know that program is not necessarily like a destination for college tennis coaches, but um, – yeah, that's that's a different ball game. I mean, two and a half, two and a half plus million is a lot of money. Look, dude. No one's endorsing breaking the law, but you take the call for two and a half million. Yeah. You absolutely like what am I, what am I doing? You're yeah, like, uh... yeah. I mean, two and a half million is a lot, a lot of cash. So. Like, are we sure you um, can't just make it two and you spend five hundred thousand on lessons between now and yeah, then, and I mean, we go from or, there? Or, dude, I just don't honestly like, and, and we could talk about that another time, so we don't take up too much time. But <laughs> I just don't understand that you're telling me that. These wealthy families can't donate half a million or a million dollars to a school and get a, a a floor in the library named after them, and they can't get their kids into school. Like it just—I still don't understand the situation. But that, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's just uh, like—and with all due respect, because you don't know each individual case, but how 
how stupid do you have to be? It's like here's a yeah. hundred, you know, five hundred thousand dollars plus. You need a false spot on the tennis thing just to kind of get into the school. It's like, yeah, what yeah. I is mean, going again, on? Going back to center's thing, I think he could have, uh, he probably could have done a better. I mean, he cut the kid after a week. I don't <laughs> know if the kid ever like showed up to even a team meeting or anything. Like, again, if I was trying to, you know get away with a crime like that, I would keep the kid on and at least like make him somewhat of like a team manager or something. I don't know. I just feel like cutting him after a week is just like, you're not even trying to hide it. Yeah. And I don't know enough about the details and I don't know exactly what happened in there. But um, again, if I was trying to commit a criminal act, I'd probably think through that a little bit more. That's but, what I'm saying. Yeah. At least be smarter about your crimes. Like it's, yeah. Oh, maybe that's just the theme now. He's not the only one who's yeah. been stupid about their crimes, but I'm not yeah. opening that Pandora's box. Um, yeah. All right, yeah, let's move on to our other team. You mentioned uh, Mississippi State. Their team, you had them mm-hmm. much lower than I do. I'm obviously biased yeah. because uncle of Trevor Fauché, Chris Halioris, is a frequent guest mm-hmm. on the correct, uh, or on the Great Shot podcast. But mm-hmm. the way this team ended the season, you know, they're an outdoor team through and through. So that yeah. they even made the indoors is a great experience experience for them yeah they lose once in the regular season to florida in gainesville obviously survive a tough battle uh 4-2 against vanderbilt 4-2 against south carolina 4-1 against tennessee in the sec championship Uh this is a team that in last year's quarterfinal had ohio state on the precipice of elimination it came down to nuno versus torp and that's what college tennis is all about um i mean I have them number uh, one, two, three, four. They, if Ohio State was number two, they're my number four title contender. I just – it's all seniors, and they win the doubles point, and 99.9% of matches they have the best player in Nuno who just – he doesn't f-ing lose ever, not ever. You know, he's the only three-time SEC male player of the year for a reason. Yeah. I, I, there's so much to like about this team. Yeah, I think, again, they're a gritty bunch who is very, very experienced. They have – one of the top five players probably easily, maybe even top three players in the country who wins majority of his matches. So, uh, and, and they play really good doubles. I think they're very well coached. Um, so again, I definitely think that I was wrong in, in making them my number seven, but um, yeah, I think it's going to be about the, like, you know, how they show up on a day-to-day, day-to-day basis. I, I can't say that who, who's in their draw. Who do they have? So they are the number seven seed. That means they would have Texas. Oh, they have TCU, who they lost to at the indoors in the mm-hmm. Super Regional. Then they would have a Texas squad that I think they match up with well. Both teams, a ton of depth. The things yeah. Mississippi State does well, they'll probably, you know, they probably have to win doubles. Yeah. They have to get a win from Nuno. They probably have to get a win from Trevor at five. Mm-hmm. But there's just. You know, a lot of either-or matches, and I think there's more guaranteed points for – not that anything's guaranteed, but, you, again, you're mapping it out, and you kind of like the way Mississippi State looks. Of course, they'd have to get past TCU as well. Then they'd get a young Florida team in their conference. We already talked about the benefits of playing conference foes. Yeah. It, I just – I like this. I don't know. I'm biased, but I like this team a lot. I mean, yeah. I'd make I think a case – you're right in liking sorry. them. I, that, is, that isn't like a crazy take. You know, it's not – it's not yeah, um, this is number four contender for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, they have the tools to get the job done. It's just a matter of them executing and um, making sure that they don't have a slip up or they don't have a couple of, you know, you, you can't have Nuno because you got that as a lock spot. If you're, if you're a Mississippi state fan or one of the guys on the team, so you can't necessarily 
have have an off day, but they have the tools to get the job done. They have the experience. They have the coaching. They've got good doubles. So definitely one of the top, I would say, you know, I don't want to take back my number, but I, <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you if, yeah. you know, if you have them at four. Sure. And the other thing we keep alluding to this, and it's not quantifiable, but this is a team that loves each other. Uh, these yeah. are four seniors who've played together for four years. Last yeah. week's on the job. They're going to be playing their most Dude, inspired Dude, if you tennis. can make it through four weeks in, is it Starkville? Yeah, exactly. sorry, four years, four years in Starkville <laughs> and stick together as a squad, like props to you. Yeah. I don't want to take that as a necessarily a shot at Mississippi State, but I, those guys, yeah, respect to those guys for sure. No, they deserve it. Well, then, oh, here's my other hot take for you, and I could be forgetting people, but on the on the case of Nuno, I'm limiting it to 21st century college tennis players. My mm-hmm. tier one list of guys, or, and this is just the men, by the way, mm-hmm. Stevie, Somdev, John Isner. Those are tier one. They're on a list on their yeah. own. I may have forgotten someone. I would put like the Nunos, all of your class of Virginia guys, Mike Shabazz, the Torps of mm-hmm. the world, Blas Rolas in that no, second Petros tier. Petros has got to be up there. Pe- oh, that has got to be like well, – Petros Pet- could be like tier two, and I know he's been playing like sort of one. It hasn't been like a solid one guy, but – we can't sit here and say if Petros played one, he wouldn't have won the no, same amount of matches. Here's like, the thing. He's one and a half because if they win this year, he's a tier one guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. And then because so many of you guys were good at Virginia, I'm not putting you all in tier one. You guys all no, get the and, 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 no, we, and, and, and I don't think that you should, honestly, because although we had a great team, like there were like our teams were very up and down. Like we luckily didn't have guys get cold at the same time, but even – and listen, I, Ty's one of my best friends. Ty had stretches where he was losing, you know, sometimes at two or three, um, you know, took some hard L's at number one. Richard obviously was very good. Um, Colin was, you know, it, it just, we were up and down. So I think it's hard to solidify that tier one. Tier one are guys that were legitimate locks. Steve Johnson didn't lose for years. Somdiv didn't lose for years. Isner was obviously like a, a lock. So it's really hard, I think, to, you know, that's a very select group of guys. So I would think that Petros, obviously, if he can win it this year and maybe win another NCAA singles title, he's definitely up there in it with, with those uh, with those select few. Yeah, and I'm sure we forgot some early Stanford guy from like 2000. Yeah. I think Alex Kim or something who was really yeah. freaking good. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, I agree with you. There's certainly a distinction. Stevie, Sam, Dev, I mean, those two are yeah. – at least within the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, exactly. 21st century. Um, but yeah, yeah, so that's enough on this Mississippi State team. Last two teams, I swear we're in the home stretch. I imagine yep. we're near the top of your list as well. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the number three team for me, and I mentioned Ohio State was number two. I think mm-hmm. you're going to have this team at number one, Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Uh, yeah, they're defending champs. Uh, they got probably the strongest top two uh in the country seem to have pretty good doubles they're a team that has the experience in winning a national championship very well coached uh obviously seem like they're peaking at the right time they just won the acc tournament um so wake i had them at my number i mean like i said i had virginia at one i had wake at number three um i think the bottom (laughs) of their lineup has has been sort of inconsistent at times and um you know, I don't, I don't have so, so much belief in some of the guys in the bottom of their lineup because they've had some random losses. And in the NCAA tournament, if you have some of those random losses, that could be the reason why you bow out. Um, but definitely one of the teams that I would say, again, they're my number three. I think that they have a very, very good chance to go back to back. 
29 and 3 on the year. They lost to Ohio State in the uh, indoor finals. They lost to yep. Virginia, who's 5 2 in Virginia. And then they lost 5 2 at Florida without Gojo earlier in the year. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you said top two. You could also make the case Barbotzer after beating Henry. Yeah, dude. I mean, he's still. He's been yeah. so good at three, too. He's, I mean, if you have a 25 year old, a 24 year old sophomore, and I know Barr very well, he's a super nice kid. Um, but Served he's in the Israeli player, military. Yeah, yeah like, not, deserves yeah, it. He, like, a three all match is not scaring Barbotzer. You know, that he's he's a tough son of a he's a, a great kid. He works hard. Um, so that's another guy that if I was on Wake's team, I'd feel very confident in. That's what I'm saying. And again, I have these guys number three. It sounds like you do as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say this lovingly, but Estafalu has worked his way to number five yeah. in the lineup. And so that's yeah. always a good thing for, I guess, the Demon mm-hmm. Deacons. They lose a ton of doubles points. You know, not yeah. only did they lose the one uh, to Virginia, but I believe they lost to NC State and Notre Dame as well. Yeah. So this was a team, uh, let me see, they did indeed lose the one to, no, they did not lose to NC State, but they did lose the one to Notre Dame. So yeah. they find themselves in 1-0 holes frequently. And again, when you've got Gojo, Frisoko, Spotzer, 1-2-3, I mean, if you want, yeah, he won an NCAA title individually and team last year, but that match against Nakashima when he fought himself out of match points, that's, yeah, his, that's his defining to. moment. That's what you have yeah. to do. Oh man, like and he, you could just see it turn. He got so hot towards the like the middle that like when he went down, basically from like five two on, like he just literally could not miss. I mean, he was hitting passing shot winners out of nowhere, and like he's that just that's who Petros is, man. He's he's never you you can never count him out. Like I know he's taken like a very few amount of losses, but dude, Petros is super talented. He competes. He loves being a part of the Wake Forest program. It's very obvious to see. He loves being, uh, you know. Um, He's, he's a staple in that program forever. So, again, if I'm a Wake Forest guy and I have Petros on my team, I'm very confident. And that's why they I did this panel, click clack, sorry for the shameless plug, but for TennisRecruiting.net where they asked our thoughts. And they mm-hmm. asked, you know, who do you pick as your champion? And, you know, I have, as I mentioned, Ohio State number two because it's like I'm not betting against Ty Tucker and this yeah. J.J. Wolf. But then you look, mm-hmm. do I really want against it, bet against Gojo, Frisokos, Botzer, and Bresky? Like, I don't think yeah. so. And it's yeah, just, it's it become, it's so hard. And, yeah, it, in the end, you're looking for something to differentiate these teams. Barbotzer clinched an NCAA title last year. Yeah. Nothing scares yeah. him. Petros, he views a 5-1 deficit as, oh, okay, it's time to wake up now. You know, he just wants to play as long as possible. Yeah. Ah. I mean, the, the thing I that I think is toughest for them is that they draw Virginia, then Ohio State back-to-back. Those are two matches that are just going to be mentally, emotionally draining. Draining, yeah. Again, but at the same time, if there's a team that has the experience of doing that, um, it's it's Wake. They did it last year. They had a four three war against uh, against A and M in the semis, and then they had an absolute battle against Ohio State in the finals. So it's it's it's, gonna be, it's hard to do, man. It's going to be hard, and whatever team gets the job done is going to have to go through that type of a roller coaster and that grind of a journey. Um, and so I don't think it's wrong to think that a team who has done it in the past has the ability to do it again which is a perfect place to transition to our last team. You talk about a grind and a journey. No one mm-hmm. has experienced more over the since the end of the regular season, the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, than my number one team, the Florida Gators, who lose yeah. in the SEC semifinals to the Tennessee mm-hmm. Volunteers after beating them in the regular season uh, to yep. lose that match 4-3 at home. 
yeah. heartbreaking experience. I, I I may have mentioned this to you, I think, when we did our last pod, but this team is your freshman year team at Virginia. So much talent, but we yeah. don't know who to play where in doubles. We don't know mm-hmm. exactly what to do four, five, six, and we just don't have the experience that we will down the line. Yeah, and I think, uh, again, I don't have any insight into what's going on in the locker room there, but you would hope that if those guys are mature enough to get it together and to play for the team and they're not caring about who gets the spotlight or who's getting in the lineup or not, like that's maybe going to be the defining factor in whether or not they can get the job done because on paper, Florida is, and again, I know I have Virginia winning it, but if I didn't go to Virginia and if, <laughs> you know, you know, if it wasn't for the Cavaliers, I think Florida is the team to beat. I mean, to, what do they have? Alfredo at five. I don't know what, if he's been hurt or if he's just been having a down year, but you get Riffis stud Crawford stud um, in Gilton, very good singles and doubles. Uh, I don't know. I've never really seen the Andrade kid play. Um, and then they have a depth. Who, who's playing six for them? Grief. Yeah. Greif or Kessler or Vale. Yeah. Which is a joke. I mean, Kessler, <laughs> I battled Kessler when I was uh, my junior year and he's, he's so tough to play against and he's, he's the depth guy for them. Um, so Florida has all the tools to do it. Singles, both singles and doubles. They have all the talent. Um, I think Shelton's a great coach. It's just going to be a matter of Shelton can get these guys ready to peak at the right time. And um, maybe it's a good thing that they lost in the, uh, in the SEC tournament, especially at home, like to get that under the, out of the way and to feel that sting, it sort of probably gives them an extra push to prepare as well as possible to go into the NCAA tournament. And um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out for them. So to answer your question, Alfredo Perez injured in the offseason has been working his way back. I believe I heard he's going to be moved up to number four singles for the NCAA tournament, which makes a ton okay. of sense. Cause I'm pretty sure he was uh-huh. number one in the country a couple of years ago or yeah. right up around there. So, yeah, that guy's a freaking beast. Yeah, um, really good. But this Florida team, 21-3 and three on the year. They lose twice mm-hmm. at the national indoors, and then yeah. they don't lose until that match until... against Tennessee. Yeah, which yep. I think is a personally, it's a fluke, like not a fluke, not, no disrespect to Tennessee. I think also like they've had a pretty good year and for them to beat Florida at Florida in this tournament is very, very uh, respectable. It's it's no uh, BS result, but I don't know. I just think if they play 10 times, I would take Florida at least nine times, you know, and I think <laughs> they just happen to have that off day. But just from top to bottom, Florida's got so much talent that you got to think that the chances are higher that they're going to get the job done against the majority of the teams. Well, the drawmakers blessed us because we're going to get a chance to see them play Tennessee if all the seeds hold stat in that round of 16 Super Regional in Gainesville again. But yeah, the the thing that really worries me, I, I guess not worries me, but just something that I notice, we mentioned already this Florida team is young. They don't have a ton of experience beyond Iglitson, Perez, and Kessler, although that's a good group to rely on. But you look at their scores between their loss uh, at the national indoors to Stanford and their loss to Tennessee. They didn't play a single four, three match and they lost a bunch of doubles points, but it didn't matter because their depth in singles is that great. They can, you know, Crawford is as good of a competitor as you're going to find at one singles. Riffis, despite being in a league with, you know, Ito, Frisokos, McNally, all these great two singles. Riffis is a freaking beast at two. I mean, this team, is so talented you can't write them off but you have to wonder you know losing 4-3 was that as you mentioned actually a good thing for them yeah and I think uh that's what's gonna make this tournament so interesting is that 
while there are so many situations and so many different teams that like seem like they have the tools to get it done, like the season's sort of been a crapshoot in a way. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think, again, I'm super confident in Florida's abilities, but, um, you know, the Tennessee loss is kind of alarming, but at the same time it might work in their favor. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for the tournament to start, to be honest, because there's so many things that we can talk about. And until it sort of comes to fruition, we, uh, we're we going to be here just, you know, assuming what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, I mean, God knows we spent an hour 20 on it and we haven't spent, you know seen a single minute of tennis. But yeah, we've kind of been alluding to it. I know you said you picked Virginia. I'm going to give you a chance if you want to retract that or throw something else into the mix. Any final thoughts on these contenders? Any final things you're looking for? And then end this with... With, uh, give me your pick for the finalists and the champion of this year's NCAA men's tournament. Uh, I'm still sticking with my who's. That was a good try. You thought <laughs> that you were going to get me there. I, I, I'm going to stick with the who's. I, our again. who's. Our it's, who's. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Our who's. Um, <laughs> not just, not just because obviously, like, yeah, being an alum and, and being biased. I think that they have the tools to get it done. Um, I'd be very excited. I think obviously they have a, a challenging road ahead, but they've got the tools to do it. So I'm going to stick with them as my pick. Um, Florida would be coming out from the bottom half. Is that right? Yeah, uh, Florida would be yeah the right side. Yeah, so I'll go Virginia Florida final. I'll go Virginia right. four three in the final okay. with Ash Lizen uh, clinching at six. Well, I think you are just trying to suck up to Andy Katz and really get on that show with him because Dude, I'm pretty sure that's his yeah. Friend. That's actually you called me. I'm trying to I'm trying to work my way into <laughs> into the basketball industry. So look, nah, real record. I'd be so pumped. I, I can't imagine I, if, if if that happened. That'd be that, that'd be awesome. But again, I think Florida's coming out from the bottom, and I'm going to go with Virginia at the top. But again, Ohio State, Wake. There are teams that can can pull some upsets and there are other teams that can get the job done so it'll be really really i'm i'm, I'm, I'm excited man this is going to be a great ncaa tournament because there's so much that can happen as i mentioned it for me it feels like the first time since really your freshman year although there's a pretty good idea is kind of three or four teams but since your freshman year yeah. that we didn't know who the you know there wasn't presumed who the ncaa champion was going to be going into the event so it's a wide open field uh yeah. yeah and i you know again luca really appreciate you taking the time to come and chat with me i don't want to make a pick because and i'm not you know a credible journalist or whatever in the world but i have built some relationships with all yeah. these teams i'm like god i don't want anyone to get mad at me yeah and, and it's not it's, it's nothing personal man like you yeah know, I think it's you know you got to respect the takes i think that's what makes the sport fun especially man if we can talk about college tennis which doesn't get enough um exposure as it is if we can talk about it and and sort of make these fun predictions. I think, dude, listen, when I was playing, and I would agree that majority, 95% of the guys that were playing when I was playing in college tennis were waiting for that Bobby Knight release to come out to see what his <laughs> predictions were. And I kid you not, I mean, I, I would say majority of the guys, I remember walking in, I think it was Tulsa 2016, and it was like the Elite Eight. And I remember Martin Redlicky walking into the site and looking at me and going, yeah, Bobby has his loosened today. Like, like, it was just like, it's a topic of discussion. So, I think the guys would appreciate it that we're taking the time, and I think it makes it more interesting for them. We're trying to gain uh, as much exposure for college tennis, which is a beautiful sport. So I think, um, you know, no hard feelings. There's no disrespect to any of the other teams. It's a it's a war. We just, you know, it's just making it more fun for 
for everybody involved. See, prime Bobby Knight in my mind, he was really good when uh, Puget's foot touched the net. That's when it was oh. like, whoa, who is this guy? Yeah. But the best of Bobby was when uh, Axel Alvarez hooked Nick Chappell, and I wasn't there. Oh, but this dude. is a, yeah, TCU, Oklahoma. I remember seeing the video be like, oh my God. Yeah, we were on the other bank of court. So, like, I just remember seeing, like, police officers sort of, like, come up to the site out of nowhere. And I remember there being, like, I think like Spencer Poppet texted me like I think after they won and was like yeah some down between uh you know some fans and acts or whatever it was just like that that is awesome and there's so much you could talk about with college tennis there's been so many outrageous stories but uh yeah dude Bobby Knight's a game changer and I think um yeah I know he's like not really as involved as he was but it made my experience as a college tennis player way more enjoyable so I hope that the guys that are playing now can get some enjoyment out of this. Yeah, I appreciate And again, we appreciate you taking the time. Two quick ones, and then I swear I'll yep. let you go because it's getting late. Uh, yeah. Last one on the college front. You talk about Michigas. Yeah. Tennis Twitter, was a, it seems like whenever college tennis really takes off, it's either A, they changed the scoring format again, yeah. or B, someone got caught hooking on video. Yeah. And yeah. now the big take, and we I kind of uh, have talked about it a little bit earlier, but the McNally one against Alex Brown, and yeah. uh, that one went around. In slow motion, it looks bad, but I swear to God, I was watching the match live. Given yeah. how slowly the ball landed, given that McNally had the exact forehand he wanted, given how yeah. many people were watching i just cannot believe they missed that call that being said i i don't want to phrase it like this because it makes us look so bad as a sport but how big of an influence is hooking going into this home stretch like do you expect to see at least one or two more of those over the next two weeks i think because social media is so big now and like literally literally everybody has a video of something like it could there could be a video or two that pops up but like i don't think that people think uh, college tennis and hooking is like Dude, if you're hooking in college, if you're cheating and thinking using that as like a legitimate tactic to try to be successful, like th- I doubt it, man. There is no team that's like, you know what, we're, we don't have a chance to win, but today we're gonna cheat, so we're gonna like give our like, dude. I, I saw the McNally call, wasn't a good call for sure. Um, I, I I don't know how intentional it could be. I just think now because everybody's got the ability to like pull out a video, uh, you know, their phone and video something like. That happens all the time. And just because McNally was caught on camera and somebody recorded it and posted it, like that, those calls happen far too often. But I, I hate when people sort of get up on their high horse and they make it seem like it's like, I hate to say everybody's done it, but there have been mistakes made, dude. Like, you, you got to let it go. And if, if we start posting every single bad call on social media, college tennis is going to look horrendous. So while that was a bad call and, it wasn't it was a bad look for the entire ohio state program like let's let's give it a rest a little bit because it happens far too often and it's something that unfortunately like with players making their own calls is going to happen more times than it should so, so there, I, I was at the Big Ten tournament this weekend, and I won't give names but I was watching a match and uh, I was chatting with some parents in the crowd and Someone during one of the matches took an injury timeout right as the match was coming to an end, and their team was about to clinch, but that individual was about to lose their match. Yeah. So there's some parents who were getting mad about that, and it started getting chippy. Uh, I mean, there are obvious incidents in a Michigan-Ohio State match. There's going to be hooks. 
just obviously. Yeah. And to me, that adds to the fun. But of course, there shouldn't be a place for that in the game. So I guess being a player, understanding you know how often, not how well, yes, exactly, how often, how frequent this sort of thing happens. Do you think there should be repercussions for the cases such as? And I'm sorry for calling these people up because I'm not trying to say they're bad yeah. individuals. They're just the most noted moments, the Gojo incidents or the McNally incidents where they blow up. Should the team or the player be penalized? I mean, again, I don't think necessarily the team or the player should be penalized because, again, these are instances that are caught on camera that look horrible, but they happen, dude. Like, I'm sure within that dual match between Illinois and Ohio State, that wasn't the only call that was... It wasn't. Was I was watching. Yeah, absolutely not. And, and yes, it was very bad, and, and the Gojo one was very blatant. And I think, personally, like, if I was caught cheating like that, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily expect like a penalty from the NCAA or from my school, but I personally would probably come out and say like, "Hey, listen, like you know, whether it's a social media post or whether it's whatever, like, hey, I like messed up. I made a wrong call. Unfortunately, it's a it, it's a part of our sport when stuff like that happens, and I'm gonna try to be better moving forward. I think it's sort of awkward when it's left like un un like un like not discussed. Um, that's personally what I would do, but I don't necessarily think that you can bring a punishment down on any of those guys because then every single dual match should have punishments for players that get overruled you know what i mean yeah um, and they the sort time, of like, do it is one point the same way if you get overruled by the ref for a call that's an inch like it is one point and i think it's bad enough and sort of like the consequences that gojo and mcnally and whoever else has been you know dealt with something like that has to deal with like it's tough getting eaten alive on social media dude so i think anything more than that would be, I think, uh, a little overboard, but that's just my opinion on it. No, that's fair. It's just it comes up. It's a lot easier for us as fans to say, hey, suspend the kid when you're not aware. Yeah. You know, There's at least one overrule in every individual match of a college yeah. tennis match, so it is sort of just a thing that happens. But, yeah, it's just – And it's it, different. You know, there are certain things that happen. Like, for example, a missed call, but, like, you know, the last year when the spitting on the hand, like, that's not something that happens in every dual match. Exactly. So if it's a blatant thing where a kid spits in his hand and shakes it, like, again, heat of the moment not judging Kipson at all but like then sure suspend him for that because that's not something that happens in an every single day dual match um but missed calls happen when guys are having to call their own lines like it's gonna happen so let's not you know blow it out of proportion and let's sort of move on from it you know let the kid know if you did it on purpose don't do it again uh it's not the way the game needs to be played but I don't think it needs to be anything super serious you know no complete I, I think that's totally fair it just sucks because you're seeing the absolute worst moments or the absolute worst incidents because it's social media and you know that's what we have videos of that's just how these things work but all right yeah last question we can end on a fun note i, I mm-hmm. can't let you go without talking a little uva mm-hmm. uh, your former teammates and classmates ty kwiatkowski jc aragoni uh not classmate but teammate colin altamirano ryan shane all competing in that clay swing of challengers have gotten to see yeah. a lot of them uh recently first of all what i've learned is bowling should have given you guys more time to train on the clay because i say it respectfully uh <laughs> Uh, you, your boy's got to do a little bit of work on the dirt. I know, but no, I, okay. Like uh, JC's had a rough patch. Um, he's not going to, he'll be the first one to admit that clay probably isn't his best surface. Um, and, but dude, the other guys like Colin just beat Noah. I know he, he retired today. I don't know if it was a default or if he actually got hurt. I don't know what it was. I, I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him, but uh, Colin beating Noah, Ty, who did Ty had a really good win yesterday. He beat Corey Lini on clay. He lost, uh, I think to Mutet today. 
Yeah, he texted. He he said that it you know wasn't his day. Uh, probably I don't think he woke up on the you know the best side <laughs> of the bed. Um, but to, to beat Colarini, who was a French Open junior finalist, Argentinian guy, clay quarter, like yeah, we're probably not as strong on clay, but you know Richard goes three sets with Sangren, and you know I got to give my boys credit. Like oh Richard, I forgot about him. Yeah, so I mean the guys, dude. I mean like they're. It's dude. It's such a grind. They're playing week to week, and it's like the third week in a row on clay. So I'll uh, give them the benefit of the doubt, and I think that you know, for example, JC's probably going through a rough patch, but you know, when he goes to a hard court tournament, he's going to light it up. And um, yeah, I mean, those guys are killing it, man. I think the majority of them are in the top three hundred. So yeah, super and impressed. and they're all around that border for uh, Grand Slam qualifying chances. If they all get in, you're going to make them fly you out to Wimbledon. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I would hope so, man. If each guy pitches in like a couple hundred bucks, dude, I'm, I'm there. I'm there, dude. I, I think that uh, I think American Express would understand if I told them I had to go out there. So counterpoint, uh, we charter the Steislinger plane and yeah. we just rock and roll. That would be an option as well. So <laughs> that would be a good problem to have. So I hope that it, you know, it becomes a reality soon enough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Luca, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. We went way over what I expected, but really appreciate hearing from you. Hopefully we'll be able to get you back on. Maybe we'll do a little recap before we head into the Super Regionals, see if all Perfect. of our takes uh, stand stand good. Of course, man. I'm always, I'm always about it. Again, really appreciate what you guys do for the game and for college tennis specifically. Uh, this was awesome. I loved sort of freshening up on my college tennis knowledge and seeing what's <laughs> out there and super excited for what's ahead for the tournament. So I'm sure we'll stay in touch. And, you know, if you guys ever want me back on, just let me know. But thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, for sure, Luca. Well, take care and we will talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. All right. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Luca Corintelli about this year's contenders for the 2019 NCAA men's team title. Obviously, with so much play upcoming this weekend, you're going to need to stay tuned for everything. And to do that, the best way, check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We'll have instant updates for you all weekend long from our team of writers, tennis personalities, because this really is one of our favorite weekends of the year. So much tennis going on. I believe I did the math earlier. It's like 128 matches over the course of three days. It's going to be very exciting. You're not going to want to miss anything. If you want to talk about, hear about the professional tennis world, want to hear the fun side, want to hear our conversations with pros or figures in the tennis world, check out our other host of podcasts, Cracked Interviews Podcast, the Mini Break Podcast, What the Deuce. You know the deal by now. Like, rate, subscribe, review. Share with your friends. If you're liking this tennis podcast, you're like me. You listen to way too much tennis if this appeals to you. And so you definitely have friends from the tennis world who would be interested in this as well. Give them a ring. Let them know what they're missing out on. We would really appreciate it. I've got to end, as always, with a huge shout-out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a fuck of an editing job to do, not only today, but throughout this weekend as we try to keep you up to date in all things in the world of tennis. But with that being said, for my wonderful co-host, Luca Corintelli, for our incredible super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Enjoy your weekend of college tennis, everyone.